0: Thank oh. you. everyone, it's time for another episode from the dark side. I'm your host Sherry. I am so excited about this one because it's in my home state of Delaware. I grew up around these places. Jack Wheeler was a prominent Washington DC insider and he disappeared but not for long. His body was located very quickly and it's a complete mystery what happened to him during that short time he couldn't be located. I remember back in 2021 when the reboot of Unsolved Mysteries covered Jack's case for their first episode of season two, and I was really glad to see it on there getting attention. On December 31st, 2010, a landfill worker at the Cherry Island landfill in Newcastle County, Delaware was on his loader and moving trash around in a huge pile. If you've ever been to a landfill, you know there's a million seagulls flying around and it's really loud from the machines and the seagulls. It seems like just another Friday at work for this employee. He spots something that catches his eye, something he's never seen there before, and he has to do a double take. It looks like a human body being tossed around in this trash heap. He hops off his machine to take a closer look. The other employees come running over and they see this is not a mannequin or a prop from a stage production. This is in fact a human body. The police arrive along with retired Detective Michael Lawson from the Wilmington Police Department. Detective Lawson notes the body is of an older white male. He's wearing black pants and a white shirt. There's no obvious signs of murder like a gunshot wound or a stab wound or ligature marks around his neck. It could have possibly been a homeless person. He spots something glimmering on his hand and leans in for a closer inspection. This male is wearing a ring. He described it as no ring I had ever seen before. It was a West Point Military Academy ring from the class of 1966. The body was also found wearing a Rolex watch. Whoever this person is, is someone who is distinguished. This is something huge. This is episode 76, The Mysterious Death of Jack Wheeler. This case took place in 2010. 2010 brought us the Haiti earthquake in which 230,000 people were killed. 89% of all emails were considered spam. The number one song was TikTok by Kesha. The first iPad was released, and I remember seeing the line at the Apple store. It, like, went through the whole mall. McDonald's began offering free Wi-Fi for customers, and shortly afterwards, Starbucks did the same thing. China had a traffic jam that lasted for 12 days and spanned 62 miles. And lastly, Comcast was voted the worst company in America, so they quickly rebranded to Xfinity. John Parsons Wheeler III goes by the name Jack, and I'll refer to him as Jack for the rest of this episode. He was born December 14, 1944 in Laredo, Texas. His parents are John Wheeler Jr. and Janet Wheeler. He had a brother named Robert and a sister named Janet. Jack's dad was a general in the Confederate Army and later with the United States Army. Five days after Jack was born, his mother received a telegram from Europe stating her husband was missing in action from a battle, but he was later found to be alive. Jack has a condition called bipolar disorder throughout his entire life. It affects 2.6% of the population ages 18 and up. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, it, it used to be called manic depressive disorder, but that term is pretty outdated. It is a mental illness that causes unusual shifts in a person's mood, energy, activity levels, and concentration. These shifts in behavior and moods can make it difficult to carry out day-to-day tasks. Jack suffered with this his whole life, but took medication for it, which seemed to help his symptoms. Meanwhile, he proceeded with a super badass life and did a lot of things, never letting his bipolar condition stop him from achieving his dreams. I could spend the next hour going through Jack's career in education. He has a super impressive resume. I'll give you the shorthand version. After high school, Jack attends West Point Academy, which is a prestigious university located in New York. It's one of the hardest schools in the United States to get into with only a 10% acceptance rate. In order to be accepted, you need to have a 3.9% grade point average, and recommendations from many people, including a member of Congress or a U.S. Senator. You can't just waltz in and be a student. It's a long, lengthy process. Jack graduated from West Point Academy in 1966. He graduated at the top of his class. He was devastated that there were 30 members of his graduating class that were killed in the Vietnam War, and he's going to do something nice for them, and I'll get to that in a moment. He then graduated from Harvard Business School. The summer of 1968, he spent as a systems analyst for the Office of Secretary of Defense. He served a non-combat position in the Vietnam War. In 1971, he left the military and began working as a senior planner for Amtrak. Then he attended law school at Yale University. Afterwards, he became a clerk for a judge, and from 1978 to 1986, he was Assistant General Counsel, Special Counsel to the Chairman, and the Secretary of the Securities and Exchange Commission. The Vietnam Veterans Memorial Wall in Washington, D.C. opened in 1982. Jack was an essential part of making this happen. He co-founded the organization that built the wall and helped raise the money. The memorial wall today in 2023 gets around 5 million visitors per year. Folks say the wall would not have been possible without Jack. He was also the national director of Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Jack was a Pentagon official. He was a presidential aide to Ronald Reagan, George Bush, and George W. Bush. He was the special assistant to the Secretary of the Air Force from 2005 to 2008, He was the CEO of the Vietnam Children's Fund and oversaw the building of 51 schools. Jack had been married to a woman named Elisa, and they had two children, a son and a daughter, but they eventually got divorced. Jack remarried to a woman named Catherine Kleiss in the 90s. She has two adult daughters of her own that Jack treated just like his own kids. Jack is incredibly smart and very involved in politics and the government. He is well-respected and distinguished. It's currently 2010. Jack is 66 years old, and Jack isn't one to settle down and retire like the rest of his friends his age. He's a busy man, spending his days on his cell phone and laptop. He always has his briefcase. Jack still works. He has to stay busy. That's just who he is jack and his wife have a condo in harlem new york they also have this older house in historic newcastle delaware newcastle is rich with history it really fit jack's personality there's lots of cobblestone streets and historic sites they split their time between the new york home and the delaware home jack could be closer to washington dc when he's at the delaware house and the commute is much closer than from new york Jack is currently spending his days working as a consultant for a company called MITRE. MITRE is a defense contracting firm, which, according to its website, specializes in areas such as artificial intelligence, satellite systems, space security, and cybersecurity. Jack's area is cybersecurity, and he works as a consultant. There's obviously stuff going on around us that we may not even know about. I've never heard of MITRE, but they supposedly do a lot for the United States citizens. According to investigative journalist Steve Volk from The Washington Post, quote, he was working on the issues that we're seeing now, Russia interfering with the election, Russia and China supposedly hacking into our power grid. That's the stuff that Jack was working on at the time. The problem, though, is that there is nothing to connect those parts of his bio to his actual murder, end quote. It's Christmas 2010. Jack and his wife, Catherine, are in their New York condo celebrating the holidays. The children are visiting, the grandkids are there, everyone is happy and enjoying the holiday. Once Christmas is over, Jack tells Catherine he has to head back to Washington, D.C. It's important. He has to work for MITRE for a couple days. He says he'll stay at the Metropolitan Club in DC where he is a member. The Metropolitan Club is a historic exclusive club for government officials and super notable people. You have to be a member and there's usually a five year waiting list. Catherine is annoyed. She argues that she doesn't want him to leave just as Christmas is ending. It's too soon to go back to work, but he insists it's just for a couple days. So Catherine stays in New York and Jack leaves to head to D.C. via an Amtrak train. It's December 28th, 2010. They argue back and forth between texts and emails after he leaves. We do have surveillance that Jack did indeed go to Washington on December 28th. During the day, he had been emailing back and forth with his wife, attempting to make up. He also emailed his daughters and stepdaughters. Around 5 p.m., he posted on the West Point Class of 66 message board complaining about the corruption in NCAA sports. He was supposed to stay in Washington, D.C. for a couple days since that's what he told his wife. But by 7.30 p.m., Jack was back in Delaware. This is where things are going to get weird and ultimately Jack will be dead in just two days. Those two days between when Jack returned that evening from DC and when his body was found are a complete mystery. Luckily, there was a lot of surveillance footage going on so we can see bits and pieces of his whereabouts. We learned that Jack lately had been super opposed to a big three-story house that was being constructed directly across the street from his Newcastle County house he argued that the site that it was being built on was part of battery park and it held a lot of historical significance jack had recently started a petition about this he also hired a lawyer his lawyer says jack was an unusual client because he was a lawyer himself even though he wasn't practicing the house was still under construction at this time but his lawyer said the legal proceedings weren't finished yet Either way, every time Jack looks out his front window, he's pissed off watching this house go up. It also blocked the beautiful view that they had of the Delaware River right from their front porch. Jack's house is older, like most houses on this historic street. This brand new house was kind of an eyesore and ruined the aesthetic of the cobblestone streets and so on. But more importantly to Jack, it was disrespectful and offensive to build upon this land, which is so full of history. So I mentioned that Jack was back in Delaware that night by 7.30 p.m. Around 11.30 p.m., someone approaches that house that's under construction and sets off some smoke bombs. I'm not saying that it was Jack that did it. We don't know who did it. We just know that Jack is back in Delaware. His wife isn't around, so he's home alone. Someone goes into that house and sets off smoke bombs in the middle of the night. If it was Jack, this would be out of character since this would seemed like something beneath him. One of Jack's neighbors actually heard a sound that night and looked outside and saw small balls of fire at the house being tossed by a dark silhouette wearing a black ski mask. The person moved slowly and calmly and then began walking towards the Delaware River. He described the whole thing as creepy. He called the police and the fire department and the fire was quickly put out. The next morning, Jack is in Wilmington, Delaware. We don't know where he spent the night, if it was at his home in Newcastle or where he was. Police believe he was in Wilmington, but we don't have a way to prove this. Either way, at 8.45 a.m., Jack is in Wilmington. He called a cab and asked to be taken to the Hotel DuPont. The cab driver said he was very kind and seemed completely normal. He was wearing a business suit and he could tell that this was somewhat important. He dropped him off at the hotel. We don't know if he had someone he was meeting there, but Jack was found to have never checked in. The driver also said it was very cold out, but Jack wasn't wearing a coat, just a suit jacket. Meanwhile, Catherine's been trying to call Jack. She hasn't heard from him since yesterday and figured she would just give him space or whatever. But Jack isn't answering his phone. And she finds this strange, as Jack is is always on his phone. He's always got it in his hand or it's close by. He's a businessman. He's on his phone all the time. She says he uses his phone for everything, so for him not to answer is out of the ordinary. In fact, this was the first time ever that she was not able to reach him and him not return her call within a few minutes. We learn that the reason why Jack isn't answering Catherine's calls is because at 9.30 a.m., Jack emails his employer and reports that his house was broken into. He says some items of importance were stolen and could be used to access MITRE. His wallet, key fob, badge, briefcase, and cell phone were taken. He, for whatever reason, didn't notify the police or his wife about this, though. He then emailed his therapist and complained about feeling dazed and like he was trapped in a box after his fight with Catherine. Without Jack's cell phone, it's hard to pinpoint his whereabouts, but we do have some surveillance footage, and I'll get to that. Around 4 or 5 p.m. that day, Jack called for a cab to pick him up at a shopping center in Old Newcastle, just a couple miles from his house. I don't know how he called. He must have used a phone inside or a business or... Borrowed somebody's cell phone, he says he wants to be taken to the Philadelphia train station. When the cab driver arrived, Jack was not there. But at 6 p.m., Jack is seen on surveillance entering a Happy Harry's pharmacy in the same shopping plaza. This is Jack's local pharmacy, and the pharmacist knows him well. He says, Hello, Jack, and asks how it's going. You here to pick up your medication? Jack says, No, he needs something else. He needs a ride to Wilmington. Can you just leave and take me? This is out of character for Jack since he usually doesn't ask people for things. The pharmacist says, no, but how would I call you a cab? A couple in the store overhear the conversation and tell Jack that they're going that way anyway. They could drop him off, no problem. Now, I've heard it was one man, I've heard it was two men, and I've heard it was a couple that was a man and a woman. I have no idea which one it is, but we'll say it was a couple since that seems to be in most sources. In the surveillance video of Jack walking out of Happy Harry's, there are two men in the frame who were determined not to be the couple who gave him a ride. So this couple in the store offers to take Jack to to Wilmington, which is less than 10 miles away. Investigators believe he wanted to go there to pick up his car from the parking garage. He had left his car there before he went to New York for Christmas and was just now getting back to it. A surveillance camera catches him at 6.42 p.m. He's in the Newcastle County Courthouse parking garage. The problem is that his car is at a different parking garage a few blocks away near the Amtrak station. Basically, he's in the wrong parking garage. Now, this isn't unusual. Jack's family says although Jack is highly intelligent, he has a really bad sense of direction. He loses his car all the time. He liked walking in Central Park, according to his daughter, because it was shaped like a square and easy for him to navigate. This is something Jack and I have in common, for sure. I could get lost in a small room. Jack's family says on several occasions, Jack came home in a cab because he forgot where he parked his car. He was usually too preoccupied with work to remember these things. He's incredibly smart but absent-minded. His daughter says there was even times where he would come home from work and would forget and just drive right past his house. So this footage of Jack in the parking garage is disturbing because he appears disheveled. He is wearing one shoe and carrying the other in his hand. He appears agitated and in distress his tie is missing and he's limping he walked back and forth the halls of the garage at times he appeared to be peeking around corners or looking out of doors before he would go through them almost like he was being watched one thing viewers of the unsolved mystery episode were very vocal about including myself is why no one bothered to address the ride from the pharmacy we know he seemed okay at the pharmacy This person, or persons, gives him a ride to Wilmington. He walks into the parking garage with his suit wrinkled and carrying one shoe and limping. I'm positive the person has been identified by the surveillance footage at Happy Harry's and likely was questioned. I'm just wondering what the hell was going on in that car. We don't know if perhaps Jack is having some kind of mental breakdown going on and that's why he's in the state he was in or if he was assaulted in the car. I wanna believe these were really just good Samaritans who were heading to Wilmington and offered to give Jack a ride. From everything I can read, that's exactly what they were and they have nothing else to do with the case. Jack speaks to the attendant at the garage. We see him on camera, but can't hear what he's saying. According to the parking garage attendant, he was in a bad state. She says he told her his briefcase had been stolen. He kept repeating that, my briefcase was stolen, my briefcase was stolen. This is something that he also mentioned to his employer in the email from earlier that day. Remember, he emailed and said his house had been broken into and his cell phone and briefcase and his badge were stolen. She said Jack did not smell of alcohol and his words were very clear and concise. The security guard comes over and she says Jack's eyes were red like he had been crying and appeared scared. She asked him if he wanted to be driven around the garage to find his car and and he says no. She offers him money to get a cab, and he says, no, he has plenty of cash. Jack's family saw the surveillance footage and said he definitely appeared afraid, but he is missing his cell phone, his car, his briefcase, and his security badge, and he's probably freaking out. I'd be in tears as well. Keep in mind, this whole time, he's still only wearing one shoe and carrying the other in his hand. Jack walks out of the parking garage and is not on surveillance footage for the next 20 hours. We don't know where Jack was during that time. But the in the morning, he goes to Subway and he orders a coffee. The employees say he was wearing dress clothes but appeared filthy. His white dress shirt was black in some spots, almost like he had been wearing the same clothes for a few days. They also said he paid for his coffee with cash that he pulled out of his pocket. Jack is spotted that afternoon. This is December 30th, 2010. He is seen in surveillance video in the basement of the Nemours building in the city of Wilmington. The Nemours building is this huge corporate office building. It even has its own Starbucks location inside of there. Lots of businesses are in this building. The basement is full of hallways and staircases, employee lockers and maintenance stuff. At one point, Jack goes upstairs and walks into one of the law firms. He asked to speak with the managing partner, but left before he could speak to him. His family said Jack didn't know anyone at this firm. He stopped into the Small Business Administration office on the building's 11th floor, asking for a ride to Philadelphia. The office manager there said he told her he was a fellow federal employee as well. She asked which agency, and he didn't respond. He just walked out. A few people asked him if he needed help because he's disheveled and appears confused. He told them he was fine. Investigators later found evidence that Jack may have been sleeping in the stairwell at some point during his time in the Nemours building. I'm not sure what evidence they have to say this, but they wouldn't release it without being sure about it. They likely found a makeshift pillow and a blanket. Jack, according to his family, had no connection to the Nemours building in the past. He had an appointment there years ago but he hadn't been to this building in a long time. At 8.30 p.m. on December 30th, the video shows Jack exiting the Nemours building. He is wearing dark pants and this time a dark blue hooded sweatshirt. He likely got the hoodie from one of the employee lockers in the basement where he was for some time. 10 minutes later, the street camera sees Jack walking through the valet area of the Hotel DuPont with his hood up. It showed him cross Market Street and head towards Rodney Square. He's walking towards a high crime area. This was the last confirmed sighting of Jack while he was alive. Meanwhile, Catherine has been calling and calling. She can't reach him. As far as she knows, he's in D.C. That's where he told her he was going and would be staying at the Metropolitan Club. He did go to D.C., but he left early and came back to Delaware. Catherine doesn't want to leave New York yet because they had gotten a lot of snow up there and she was snowed in. The next morning, this is only around 12 hours after Jack was seen. It is December 31st, 2010. Jack's body is located in the trash pile at the landfill. This isn't a normal crime scene. This is a really hard one because there's so much trash plus a million seagulls flying around. They all put on these respirator suits and get to work. Investigators determined that the trash surrounding Jack's body had come from the city of Newark, Delaware, 14 miles away. So the case was then turned over to Newark police. They are quickly able to figure out that this is Jack Wheeler, the Washington insider who lives in Newcastle, Delaware. The West Point ring was a big giveaway. You don't see one of those hardly ever. He also had on a Rolex watch. I'm confused how they discovered it was him so quickly though which makes me think he did have his wallet on him even though he he told his employer his wallet had been stolen his name wasn't on his west point ring also he wasn't reported as a missing person again this makes me believe he had his wallet on him with his id he was also found with an undisclosed amount of cash police have been really quiet about exactly what was on jack at the time The Newark police determined that the trash around Jack's body came from this one particular truck in the area that picked up commercial dumpsters. A forensic unit unit goes out and they begin swabbing the dumpsters. They find a DNA match to Jack inside one of the dumpsters that was in a busy commercial strip in Newark. This dumpster was picked up at 4.30 a.m. Jack had been inside that dumpster. Local listeners, I spent some time trying to pinpoint exactly where this dumpster was using my amateur detective skills. I believe this is College Square Shopping Center across from Newark High School. This is approximately 14 miles from where Jack was last seen near Market Street in Wilmington. It's truly a wonder that Jack's body was found, and so quickly. Being in a landfill, there's a good possibility he could have never been found if he wasn't located right away. Because of Jack being a high-profile government official, 10 different federal, state, and local agencies become involved in his death investigation. There's a lot of pressure here because this guy isn't an ordinary citizen. They performed the autopsy the same day his body was found, which is really uncommon. You guys remember back to the Jelani Day case. I talked about autopsies and how there's usually a waiting list and can take weeks. Jack's autopsy was was just hours later. The only other case I know about where an autopsy was performed so quickly was Gabby Petito, likely because of the national attention her case was receiving. Jack's autopsy results are not available online, I've checked everywhere, but his cause of death was listed as blunt force trauma with the manner of death listed as homicide. There are items listed by the coroner that include rib fracture, lung collapse, external neck injury, swollen lips, laceration, and injury to the mouth. Basically, it sounds like he was beaten to death. I'll get to some of the other theories in a moment because there's a possibility that Jack wasn't hurt by someone else at all. Detective Lawson contacted the Newcastle County Police Department once Jack's body was identified. They tell him, you're not going to believe this, but we're actually on our way to his house because we just received a call about a possible break-in. Jack's neighbor is a man named Robert. I saw him in an interview and I just loved him. He's an elderly man and he reminded me a lot of my granddad when he talked. Jack and Catherine aren't at their Delaware home a lot. So Jack had asked Robert to be a caretaker at his house. Just keep an eye on things when we're in New York, pick up sticks in the yard if there's a storm, that kind of thing, while Jack's not home. Well, Robert, being the excellent caretaker that he is, comes outside and sees Jack's upstairs window is open. I honestly wanted to drive over and ask Robert for an interview since this is close to my house, but I learned Robert is currently in his upper 80s and he may not be up for an interview. Robert goes over to investigate and finds a mess inside. In the kitchen, there are items scattered everywhere. Kitchen appliances aren't in their normal spots. Bottles of spices are dumped all over the place. Someone had taken a bottle of Comet Cleaner, it's this white powdery cleaning substance, and dumped it everywhere. Jack's ceremonial West Point Academy sword and shield, which are highly coveted items and likely Jack's most prized possessions, were laying on the kitchen floor covered in comet. There was a book laying out that was about the West Point class of 1966 that features a section about Jack. It, too, is part of the mess. There's stuff scattered everywhere. A plant was knocked over, chairs are tipped over, dishes are broken and in the sink. I saw photos from the scene, and there's a bottle of Comet sitting on the kitchen counter, and it's all poured out into the, on the floor all over a bunch of items. Now, if Jack had staged a break-in, I just can't see him ruining these items, since they were so sentimental. This neighbor did find a barefoot footprint in the cleaning powder on the floor, but that's the last I know of that. So, Robert calls the police and tells them what he found in his neighbor's house. They are en route to Jack's house to investigate this incident when the call comes in that Jack's body is found at the landfill. Plus, they have a third event happening, and that is the investigation of the smoke bombs that were let off at the house across the street just two nights prior. This is three different events all going on at the same time, which could all be tied into each other or not. Going back to the night before he was found, how did Jack get from Wilmington to Newark? These locations are about 15 minutes away from one another. A witness said that they had seen Jack get in a taxi cab around 11 p.m. the night of December 30th. In fact, this person shared a cab with him, but was dropped off before Jack got out. It's totally possible this person could have not been Jack, though, and maybe just someone who looked like him. The witness could be mistaken. I don't know if his or her account was verified or the cab driver's. Before I get into the theories about what happened to Jack, since much are speculation, let's go through a few 100% definite facts. Jack had reported his wallet, phone, badge, and entry card into MITRE, to his employer via email on December 29th. He did not report this to police or to his wife. Jack's phone that he reported missing was found by police at the house across the street. It was a Blackberry and it was just laying there next to the house in the grass. Another fact was Jack was definitely inside of a dumpster before going to the landfill. Traces of his DNA were found inside one of them. Jack had no obvious signs of homicide when he was found, like a gunshot wound or a ligature mark or stab wound. His autopsy showed that the manner of death was determined to be homicide. It listed rib fracture, lung collapse, external neck injury, swollen lips, laceration, and injury to the mouth. There were also mixed reports that Jack had a heart attack moments before his death. We know in the surveillance footage of Jack, he didn't have all these major injuries. His face appeared normal one of jack's longtime friends said i think that what we know because jack was involved in a lot of things suggests that we should keep an open mind it's totally possible that all three incidents are connected or just a major coincidence jack's phone was found in the yard of the house being built across the street he also reported to his job there was a break-in at his house and his phone and other items were stolen whether there really was a break-in we don't know It is possible that Jack staged the scene at his house, but to have his prized possessions covered with comet cleaner and on the floor is absurd. These are items that are displayed in a case. Also, I've never heard of someone breaking into your house and dumping bottles of spices out. The trash truck drivers said that a lot of times when it's cold out, homeless people will climb into the dumpsters to keep warm. They even sometimes have a side door on them. When the truck arrives and starts to lift the dumpster up, many times they'll hear someone yell from inside and start to climb out. We know Jack has no coat on. It's possible that Jack climbed into the dumpster to keep warm and sleep and was picked up by the truck and sustained injuries while falling into the compactor. It was 22 degrees that night in Newark. All the injuries Jack sustained, according from the autopsy report, could be consistent with being in a dumpster and being thrown into a trash compactor. It makes me wonder if they can narrow down his time of death since the dumpster was emptied at 4.30 a.m. But since it's so cold out, his body temperature and time of death would be hard to discern. For Jack to climb into that dumpster himself would be a major character change from how Jack normally is. It makes me wonder if he's having some sort of mental health episode. Since Jack is high profile and affiliated with the government, there's always a possibility that it could have been a paid assassin. My issue with this is that paid assassins likely wouldn't assault you. They are sophisticated and would likely take you out via a sniper with a silencer on the weapon. If there was a hitman following him, he managed to follow Jack for days and never appear on any of the surveillance footage. Jack was seen on street cameras after leaving the Nemours building. He was heading towards Rodney Square. It's dark outside. There's always the possibility that Jack was mugged and then killed. The issue with this is that muggers usually steal from you and then run away fast. If you are killed, most statistics show that they leave your body right where it's at on the sidewalk or wherever they found you. Think of the movie Ghost when Patrick Swayze was robbed in the beginning. They're not going to load you up and drive you to another town and put you in a dumpster. There's always a chance, though. I'm not saying every mugging is the same, but most times they just rob you and leave you. Also, Jack was found with an undisclosed amount of cash, so they didn't take that He also had his West Point Academy ring on, which is worth a fortune, as well as his Rolex, which was not taken either. If a mugger is taking the time to move your body into a car and then drive it to a dumpster in the next town, they likely would have noticed these items on his hand. Jack's wife, after reviewing the footage of him in a distressed state in the parking garage, admits that Jack does appear to be in some kind of mental meltdown. He doesn't appear like himself. Something is wrong. Maybe he hadn't taken his medication. We don't know. She also suggests that computer hacking may be involved, according to an article by Stephen voke for The Washington Post. She says Jack was getting ready to investigate Delaware officials because he believed they were corrupt for agreeing to have this house built on this land, which was considered sacred to him due to the history of it. Jack had a friend in the hacker community, and he had reached out to him wanting hacking lessons. He wanted to hack into the website of something affiliated with the build. We don't know the exact details. Jack was obviously very disturbed about this house. It seemed like it was taking over his life. He was obsessed with its demise, and they just kept on building and adding to it every day. I can totally picture Jack coming outside to go to work in the morning and yelling at the builders. It was later found that Jack had recently purchased a black ski mask and his wife said he did have smoke bombs since he used them to deter rodents from their garden. I have so many questions. Since Jack appeared in the parking garage carrying one shoe and limping, why was he doing that? I've read speculation that Jack may have jumped from the moving car he was in when the couple drove him there, which explains his shoe off and his suit all wrinkled and he's limping. But this was just some random couple inside the pharmacy. What are the odds that they are this horrible couple who was waiting on a rich businessman to say he needs a ride somewhere? It truly confuses me. Also, if he was assaulted in the car, why didn't he say anything about it to the parking garage attendant? Why was he peeking around corners before entering the next area of the parking garage? Why didn't he just call a cab and go home? Why is he wandering in the basement of the Nemours building? Why wander around Wilmington for days when he had a nice warm home he could go to at any point? He had the resources to do it. I read a write-up from a ER physician who had been following this case. He noted that Jack's injuries are consistent with a trash compactor, most notably the punctured lung. He says you don't really get a punctured lung from a simple assault. That comes from something like a fall from a tall height or a major car accident. In Jack's case, possibly being dumped from a dumpster into a trash compactor. I had to research exactly how a trash truck empties a dumpster. I've seen it a lot of times before when I'm at work or whatever, but after Jack's case, I'll never look at one the same again. According to the waste management site, dumpsters are emptied using a hydraulic lift system. The empty dumpster is hooked onto the lift and then hoisted up into the back of the waste management vehicle. Once your trash is in the truck, it is compacted to make it take up less space. All garbage trucks have a big blade inside that can be used to smash the trash down. After being compacted, your trash likely rides around in the truck for a bit until the truck is full or the driver has picked up all stops on the route. The garbage is then transferred to the truck and then taken to an approved landfill or recycling facility for disposal. Now, a lot of folks argue that since the autopsy was performed the day his body was found, this was before the police had figured out that he was even in a dumpster. The medical examiner deemed this a homicide before a dumpster was even mentioned. If the medical examiner had this info, he may have written this off as injuries being consistent with being in a trash compactor. Medical examiners don't like to go back and change their autopsy reports. It makes them look incompetent and not know what they're talking about. What boggles my mind is that there's so many different agencies who had so many resources to find the answer in this case and none have been able to figure out what happened. The FBI is good, and even they don't have an answer. Jack Wheeler was obviously a great man with a family who loved him. I feel like there were times when intervention could have occurred, like at the pharmacy or the parking garage. I feel like a lot of these were opportunities that got missed and just being chalked up to a man having a bad day. Many people believe this was an unfortunate outcome to a manic episode, but Jack Wheeler's case is still listed as an unsolved homicide. It's been 14 years, and his case is becoming a cold case, and I hate that that is happening. This case makes my head spin, and I'm unsure how to wrap this up. There's always the possibility that Jack was murdered. Even the medical examiner called it. But I feel like there were many items in that dumpster that could have cut and injured Jack during the process of the dumpster getting picked up and dumped into the trash truck. As I mentioned, there's also a large blade that compacts the trash into the truck, so there's room to fit more trash. Jack was given military honors at his service, which was attended by a lot of people. He is buried in Arlington Cemetery, His obituary reads that he died at the age of 66 years old after a life of public service and that the cause of death was blunt force trauma inflicted by unknown assailants. Rest in peace to Jack, a true patriot who would be 79 years old today and likely still not retired. That's it for this week, and I'll see you all again soon. Take care and much love to you all.